0: Scripture reading this evening uh, will be read from two different verses. First one is First Peter chapter three verse eighteen. First Peter chapter three verse eighteen. For Christ who also suffered once for sins, the just for the unjust, that He might bring us to God, being put to death in the flesh, but made alive in the spirit. And then James chapter four verse eight. James four verse eight. Draw near to God, and he will draw near to you. Cleanse your hands, you sinners, and purify your hearts, you double-minded. Appreciate that. I was... uh... Referred to this morning as a seasoned preacher. I felt pretty good after that until someone said season meant old. <laughs> so I'm an old preacher. But nonetheless, um, I have that privilege of speaking to you tonight, and I'm looking forward uh, to uh, that, this opportunity. I know Sam gave a young man a warning. Um, About giving him a hug when he came up to receive his Bible because my lesson is on intimacy with God but the word intimacy makes me feel a little bit uncomfortable and I can remember just with the elders getting together and talking to one another and they will say you know Ken I love you and I said what Um, you know that's not something you know sometimes you feel comfortable saying or receiving um, but now I feel pretty comfortable. I can say to each of them, hey, I love you, and I appreciate you very much. And, uh, but I'm kind of like the, the man <laughs> who was asked by his wife, you know, do you love me? And he said, well, I told you I loved you 30-some years ago. When I change my mind, I'll let you know. <laughs> um, and so I know the other elders, the, hopefully the deacons, hopefully the members here know that I have a deep emotional feeling for each of you and I hope it shines forth and I hope that you're able to see that and I hope that um, I can walk in in, in a manner pleasing in God's sight but we are to love one another. And I'm gonna be talking specifically, I'm supposed to talk about the underlying theme. We have a series going on here for the next three weeks. I'm the first of three and the underlying theme actually is uh, zealous towards God. Mine having to do with the root of zeal and so that's what I'm going to be talking about. Anthony, a few weeks ago, talked about relationships. So I'm going to talk about relationships just generally for the first three or four minutes, but then I'm going to go more into a relationship that we have individually with our God. And that's the root of my zeal towards the Heavenly Father. A young man asked, um, asked, uh, a lady's father for her hand in marriage and, uh, he says, sir, may I have your daughter's hand in marriage? And he says, well, do you like her? He says, well, I love her very much. And he says, yes, I know, but do you like her? And, uh, and so eventually the young man got the idea what the father was talking about. Do you like the idea of marriage or do you actually like her? Do you like being with her? Is she your friend? Uh, are you close with her? Do you understand what makes her happy? Are you going to be there for her regardless of the situation? And so that's what the father was trying to get the young man to understand. And he wants to make sure that he was ready because sometimes we like the idea of a relationship, but we don't understand what's involved in making that relationship work. And so that's what the, the father was trying to get across. On the internet, on, on Facebook, I know uh, um, um, Mr. Starr back there, Kevin Starr, has this, um, uh, the blog about marriage and he uses a triangle as a a gauge or an idea of what a relationship should be like between a husband and wife. And I can remember Jerry Huggins used that same illustration uh, a few years back and it always was something that was memorable to me, it was easy to understand, but it's not always easy to follow and that triangle has god at the top and when the husband and wife and as you get closer to god the closer you are to each other and it gets it can easily get complicated i can easily as a as a husband try to do things for my wife that can put me in a bad situation financially i can buy her brand new uh, mercedes uh, uh, um, and then not be able to afford it and have to work all these overtime take me away from the family so maybe i have good intentions but if my relationship, my heart is right with God, I don't do things that are irresponsible. We work together as a couple growing closer to God. But the neat thing about the triangle is that it works with all types of relationships. It's not just a husband and wife. It could be a parent and a, a son or a daughter. It, it, it can be a relationship um, between other peoples, between brothers and sisters in Christ and the list can go on and on and on, but I can only control one side of the triangle. I can control how close I am to God. I can control my relationship, and I can control how I relate to other people. I can control how I relate to the young people, and I appreciate them and their example, and I can, as my relationship is close to God, I can tell them and let them know that I appreciate them very much. One interesting thing I thought happened earlier this week is I heard on the radio, I talked about um, um, about parents being proud of their children. And about 83% of parents said, yes, I'm proud of my ch- children. But the percentage of children that realized uh, that their parents were proud of them was fairly low, it was under 40%. I don't remember the exact percentage, but it was pretty low. So I go in the house and I says, Rebecca, I'm very proud of you. <laughs> And she says, what? (laughs) What makes you say that? Well, I just heard on the radio that (laughs) I just want to make sure you know, you understand. I know Aaron knows. I I, I believe uh, Nathan and Jacob knows. I I believe my daughter-in-laws know that I'm very proud of them, and I'm very thankful for them, uh, for them being the godly um, people that they are. And I pray that we'll always grow and help each other to grow closer and closer to God because my relationship with God affects the people around me. You know what's neat? I can choose. It doesn't happen by accident. You know, when I look at a relationship, I can choose to draw near to God and it can be seen in the relationships I have. I can choose to be close to God. I can choose how I am to my wife. I can choose how I am to my children. I can pray with them. I can study with them. I can help them grow. It's a choice that I make and it's important to realize that I choose. I have control over my side of the triangle. You know at work I was um, and I won't get into the actual uh, uh, process but I would climb up this ladder. I would dump product, uh, my my particular line uh, packages uh, Spariva, and so I would have to climb up this ladder, I would have to dump a bag into the hopper, and then I would go back down. But there was a certain way that I was dumping the bags in the hopper that made my shoulder hurt. And and I did that for like two or three months, my shoulder got worse and worse and never did get better. And then I thought in my head, well, maybe there's another way that I could Dump the product into the hopper and I did I changed the way I did it and my shoulder quit hurting or it hurt less and less It got him better improved um, And there's a point to this illustration the same Point that you can make with the car if you have low air in your tires And my kids will know this immediately if you change nothing Nothing changes right Aaron? So if I have low air in my tire and I never put air in my tire what is going to happen to that? tire is it going to inflate by itself is somebody going to come by and see the low air in my tires and put air in it is it going to get them better is it going to improve you have to take it to the gas station. You have to um, choose to take it there. And I work with my kids and getting an oil changes and things like that. They have to choose to take care of their vehicle. You have to choose to put air in your tire in order for the tire to be inflated. And so the same thing. It's true in relationships and and you can think of a relationship that you have whether it be with a parent whether it be with a a spouse whether it be with a child and you can think of one word that describes your relationship with someone on a positive note you can think of a brotherly relationship a close relationship a friendly relationship an intimate relationship and we can just go on and on a loving relationship even those positive relationships takes work and continual monitoring And making sure that you're on track with your relationship with God. You're on track with your relationship with others. But then we also have the negative side. You can look at relationships that are dysfunctional, estranged, that are loveless, that are one-sided, that are rocky, that are unstable, that are brittle. And if you change nothing, nothing changes. And so if you have that kind of relationship and you want something positive, you're going to have to change something. And so it's important to understand that, that I can control my side of the triangle. I can communicate. I can have conversations. I can uh, have a planning session with my spouse, with my children, with my parents. I can work on those kinds of relationships. And it requires praying. It requires work. It Requires planning, it requires communication and a calm, and it's not a selfish, uh, in a way, it is selfish because I want my relationship to be better. But it is also to be selfless in that I want the highest good for my spouse, for my children, for my parents. If you change nothing, nothing changes. And it's basically, I know the uh, counseling profession calls it a behavior modification, but God talks about it in his word uh, throughout his word from the beginning to the end. Definition. Drawing near to God. I'm just, um, I was looking here. I was asking Aaron, I was just seeing if it was in here. Um, I'm picking on Aaron tonight, but uh, I asked him to define intimacy and he said fully knowing somebody. I thought that's a pretty good definition. Fully knowing somebody. Fully knowing somebody with their highest highest interest of good um, that you're seeking. You're seeking their highest good. You love them. Fully knowing somebody. How can you fully, truly love God without knowing who God is? How can you fully Uh, desire to be in a relationship with someone. Yes, I know that there is a God and I'm going to worship him in nature. I'm going to acknowledge him. I'm going to believe in him, but I'm not going to find out what he desires from me. I'm not going to fully understand what his will for my life is. Definition of drawing to God is drawing first to him. In our reading in James chapter 4 and verse 8, um, we are told, and we're looking at two passages tonight, to draw near to God and he will draw near to you. Um, I looked at the other one, I had the other one, um, for, and Seth read that for us in 1 Peter chapter 3 and verse 18, and I had, him, uh, uh, had that read, for Christ also suffered once for sins, but just for the unjust, that he might bring us to God being put to death in the flesh, but made alive by the Spirit. Christ suffered once for sins, the just, Christ being the just for the unjust, that he might bring us to God. Is that a drawing power? When you look at Jesus Christ, uh, what is it, 1 Corinthians chapter 8, I believe? Uh, uh, My mind went blank. 8 verse 9, I believe. Uh, they talked about though he was rich, talking about Christ, yet for your sakes he became poor. Doesn't that want you to love him and serve him because of his great desire to restore your relationship with him? He's doing everything he can for each one of us. I know one ancient historian wrote that he loves each of us as if there is only one of us to love. But when you look at the definition of drawing near to God, the Greek word there is helko and it is translated to draw. One of the examples that is used is found in John chapter 20, where after the resurrection of Christ, Peter or, or Jesus uh, speaks out um, to, the, uh, to Peter and the other two disciples, I believe it was James and John, who were out in the boat, and he begins to speak to them, Are you hungry? And they said, yes. And he says, well, cast your nets on the other side. Well, they have already been fishing for a while, but they cast their nets on the other side. They get a miraculous catch of fish. And at this point, they didn't know who he was. And then they realized it was the Lord. And what does Peter do? He, he throws on his robe. Uh, he jumps into the water and he races out towards him. He is drawn to Jesus, the resurrected Christ. You know, when he was dead, it profits him nothing. Now he's uh, risen, and now he is anxious to be drawn near to God. James chapter 4, and I think this is a beautiful verse, and then we're going into our points uh, uh, this evening, uh, where um, James talks about um, draw near to me, talking about God, where God says, draw near to me, and I will draw near to you. Isn't that an amazing passage? God says, draw near to me. And if you draw near to me, I will draw near to you. And to me, that is so awesome. The creator of the universe here is saying, you know, I want you to draw near to me. I want your relationship to be restored. I want to have a close, intimate relationship with you. And that's what he is saying. And that's what i like for us to, to look at um, uh, this morning. Uh, We look at the word draw. It means, um, helco means to draw. It means to um, draw away or back or near or on or out of. And there's a physical versus spiritual. We have the example of Peter and the other disciples drawing the nets closer to them. Uh, We also have a spiritual application where Christ or God wants us to be drawn near to him. And so that's what we're going to be looking at this morning. In answering the question, Peter had a close relationship with his, uh, with his Lord. And that's what I like for us to look at. That's what I like for us to examine is the word story of Christ and Peter's life. And I like to use the word story as a, a acrostic form of making our points uh, this evening. But I like for us to examine the story of Christ and Peter's life. And so we're looking at the word story and we're looking at the first word is to seek. Uh, God wants us to seek him. And so we see that Peter was one who sought after the Lord. We know from the scriptures that Peter was a Galilean fisherman by trade. He was a married man. He was a disciple of John the Baptist. He was the brother of Andrew who brought him to Jesus Christ. In John chapter 1, in verse 40 and 42, we read that one of the two who heard John speak and followed him. And of course, here it's talking about John the Baptist. One of the two who heard John speak... um, because uh, John said, behold, the Lamb of God. Uh, um, so one of the two who heard John speak and followed him was Andrew, Simon Peter's brother. He first found his own brother Simon and said to him, we have found the Messiah, which is translated the Christ. And he began uh, and he brought him to Jesus. I think it's interesting in Luke chapter 6 and verse 14 that Jesus prayed all night before choosing or appointing his uh, twelve Apostles, but we see that Peter was one who was seeking for the Messiah It was prophesied in the Old Testament that the Messiah was to come He was already following John the Baptist who was preparing the way for the Christ to come and now the, uh, John the Baptist says Behold the Lamb of God and so Peter left John The Baptist and went and began to follow Jesus and Jesus prayed all night And he appointed his twelve apostles and Peter was one of the first apostles that was called to be a a, a disciple of Christ. You know, when we look at um, Matthew chapter 4, it has a record of his uh, calling, verse 18 through 20. And Jesus, walking by the Sea of Galilee, saw two brothers, Simon called Peter, Andrew his brother, casting a net into the sea, for they were fishermen. Then he said to them, follow me, and I will make you fishers of men. And they immediately left their nets and followed him. So Peter had a background. He was already believing. There are others in the world who experience a seeking through a logic, through, uh, you know, people say Christianity is a crutch and and that we follow God in order to feel safe, in order to feel like, you know, when this life ends, there's something after this life. Uh, um, But when you look at logic, science does not, Uh, uh, support evolution. Science supports Christianity and I think that's important to note and that's important for um, our young people uh, to understand and for us older people to understand. Uh, For uh, us as uh, children of God, it's not a matter my faith, is not a matter well just in case I'm going to believe in God I believe that God is and that he is a rewarder of those who diligently seek him. Three of the important arguments and Christian evidences that I believe are just basic, simple logic, and, and that has to do with the existence of God. First of all, if you think about it, if nothing existed, then nothing would exist now, whether you're talking about five years ago or a billion years ago. And then, secondly, something had to always exist, and that's something that something had to be either matter or mind, and if matter. Um, existed and not mind, and we would just have matter today and, and no living creature. So something living had to always exist, and that something or someone is God. The second um, has to do with um, in Genesis. It talks about the missing link, where Genesis talks about um, be fruitful and multiply, a command from God given to man, uh, and all the animals of the earth, be fruitful and multiply. When you look at the law of biogenesis, that everything reproduces after its own kind. So there's not a missing link. There's missing links um, between all of creation. Because although there is evolution within the species, there is not evolution outside of the species. You cannot get a a single cell amoeba and over a million years or a billion years or however many years you want to throw in there uh, can get um, a complex uh, human being. And then the final um, is an argument that um, was developed. um, My mind just went blank uh, by a professor in the 70s, um, but he would say that the Bible is beyond the production of man. And if if it cannot be produced by man, it must have been produced by a supreme being and that being being God. But that's important because when you study your Bible, you have to know that not part of it, not the sections that I approve of, but the entire word of God comes from the heavenly father. I know a preacher one time, and this is a story that I've heard uh, many years ago. Their preacher one time said he was studying with a woman. She said, that's not my Bible. And sure enough, he looked at her Bible and she took a pen knife and had certain passages cut out and it wasn't in her Bible, but we can't do that. We can't pick and choose what scripture I like, what scriptures apply to me, what, you know, But I can look at the scriptures and I can see that there's a sin problem from the beginning of time through the book of Revelation. I can see the unity that exists within the word of God. And I can believe because of that argument that the Bible could not have been produced by 40 different writers over a period of 1400 years. I can with with all confidence say that this book is the word of God. This book did come from the heavenly father. This book does express his will and I'm going to follow it. I'm going to follow it with all confidence because of where it comes from, because of the source. Romans chapter 1, verse 20 says, For since the creation of the world, his invisible attributes are clearly seen, being understood by the things that are made, even his eternal power and Godhead, so that they are without excuse. Psalm chapter 19, verse 1, The heavens declare the glory of God, the skies proclaim the work of his hands. So we see in the life of Peter, that he continually seeks Christ, who he is, what he stands for, what he means in his life, how he is to conform, how can I become more and more like him. God exists, the God of the Bible. Hebrews chapter 11, verse 6, but without faith it is impossible to please him for one For he who comes to God must believe that he is and that he is a rewarder of those who diligently seek him. Without faith, it's impossible to please God. I have to have faith. Secondly, we have Peter was one who sought after God, seeking God. He was one who put his trust in God. He trusted God fully. He trusted Jesus fully. And we see that trust growing. And sometimes he will have this complete trust in Christ, and then he will falter, and he lacked the trust that he needed to have. And Christ will say, you have little faith. And then he will go back, and you'll think, okay, now he has it. Now he got it. Now he gets it. Now he understands. And then he'll falter back. And Christ forgives him, and and then he goes back on the proper path. Peter trusted in Christ, and I think we can see this, uh, that he developed this trust in his life and his walk with Christ. Can you imagine walking with Christ and seeing the things that Peter saw? Can you imagine uh, seeing all the things that Peter had the opportunity to witness at the wedding feast where he turned water into wine, the miraculous catch of fish in Luke chapter 5, uh, uh, and we'll look at that a little bit more later, uh, seeing Jesus praying at all hours of the night, his relationship with the Heavenly Father. Can you imagine witnessing his interactions with the scribes and the Pharisees and how he astonished, and even at age 12, the, the teachers in the synagogues, can you imagine walking with Christ and, and and seeing the healing of his mother-in-law? Can you imagine seeing the man who was born blind and the people saying, "Who sinned? Was it this man or or was it his parents?" And Jesus said, "Neither, but that the glory of God might be revealed." Can you imagine seeing Jesus healing the man who was born blind? Now he can see. Can you imagine seeing the ten lepers? You were walking. And the people were telling the lepers to get away. And Jesus says, "Permit them to come." And he goes and he heals the lepers. Can you imagine witnessing that? Can you imagine seeing the, the the little girl in the ruler's house? And Jesus goes and he says, "She's only sleeping. She's not dead." And they were mocking him. They were scorning him. Can you imagine witnessing that? Can you imagine your trust factor rising in the Almighty Creator? Christ was there in John chapter 1. First few verses, Christ was their creation because he was God. He was with God and he was God, according to John chapter 1. And that God dwelt among us and Peter had an opportunity to witness God living in the flesh, dwelling amongst us and how he interact with other people and his miraculous powers. Can you imagine seeing that? Can you imagine the man born mute all of a sudden? this guy can't talk. Five years later, he still can't talk. I mean, people knew him for a long time. He can't talk. The mute were able to heal. The woman with the blood disease was immediately healed. Can you imagine witnessing all these things? The resurrection of Lazarus, the calming of the sea, That's one of my favorite verses. You know, uh, and we'll look at that more in a moment too. That even the winds, the waves, they obey him. And yet Peter's trust factor kept growing. And sometimes he goes back and sometimes he comes back, uh, goes back and forth with his, but eventually he is um, consistent with his trust. In Matthew chapter 14, we have a beautiful example of this trust factor. Matthew chapter 14, beginning in verse 25. Now in the fourth hour of the night, Jesus went to them walking on the sea. And when the disciples saw him walking on the sea, they were troubled, saying, It is a ghost. And they cried out for fear. But immediately Jesus spoke to them, saying, Be of good cheer. It is I. Do not be afraid. It is I. Do not be afraid. And Peter answered him and said, Lord, if it is you, command me to come to you on the water. I don't think that would have been me. Command me to come out on the water. And so he said, come. And when Peter had come down out of the boat, he walked on the water to go to Jesus. I would be running. (laughs) I wouldn't be walking. He walked on the water to go to Jesus, but when he saw the wind was boisterous. He's a fisherman, so he understood um, capsized boats, 20 to 30 foot long uh, fishermen boats, capsized many times, they get caught, the storm was calm, and then all of a sudden a boisterous wind comes along and, and, and topples the boat. He saw the boisterous wind, so he was familiar with it, he was afraid why would he be afraid because jesus was right there and beginning to sink he cried out saying lord save me so he realized the source of his salvation he realized that at that point there was nothing that could help him he couldn't rely on his own strength he couldn't rely on his um shipmates he could only rely on christ and he said lord save me and immediately jesus stretched out his hand and he caught him and he said to him, Oh, you little faith, what do you doubt? And when they got into the boat the wind ceased. Then those who were in the boat said and worshiped him, say, saying, Truly, you are the son of God. Do you believe that Jesus truly is the Son of God? Have you just been going along to saying, Okay, my wife believes I might as well? My preacher says it, I might as well. I think it's more safe, I might as well. Or do you actually believe that Jesus is the Son of God? You know, I don't, um, I see the providence of God working in the lives of many people and I, I, I'm i impressed by God's work. You know, um, there's a movie out that God is not dead and talks about God performing miracles in people's lives. I don't know how involved God gets. I know he answers prayers. I know he works works. Um, I know he works in a providential way in our lives, but um, I don't believe that we have the same miracles uh, today where the apostles imparted the gifts to the Christians to prove that that those gifts came from God, that the church came from God, that the Bible came from God, and so on. But God is not dead. And I think we can examine the Bible and, and believe beyond a doubt that Jesus is who he is, and we can come to the same conclusion that truly, Jesus, you are the son of God. How is your trusting faith? Do you believe that God is real, that he sent his son, that he paid the price for your sins, for my sins? Do you believe that the word of God is his revelation for us to follow, uh, to give us a way of, um, of escape from sin, to resist the devil? Um, do you believe that the Bible, the word of God is a pathway home? to help us realize that nothing can separate me from the love of God, Romans chapter eight, and the last few verses. How is your trusting faith? We're looking at um, the acrostic form of the story of, uh, of Peter, or story of Christ and Peter's life. So we already saw that Peter is one who sought after God. We saw that Peter was one CST. So trust God. And then now we're on C, which is only Savior. Christ is the only Savior. You know, we can look for a source for different things. If I was going to look for a source of water, I'm not going to go to the ocean and get water from the ocean. If I'm looking for a source of electricity, I'm going to go to the light switch and so I know where the source is. Uh, if I'm looking for a source of food, I'm going to go, I'm going to go either to the farmer uh, or the farmer's market uh, for, the, for uh, whether it be crops or, or cattle or chicken or the fishermen for fish or, or what have you. I'm going to go to the source. Uh, source may be, uh, secondary source may be the grocery store, but I'm going to go to the source. I'm not going to go to my shed for food. It's common sense. So Christ is the only Savior. We see that in John chapter 6. I like this passage here. Uh, In John chapter 6 and verse, uh, um, we'll go ahead and turn there. John chapter 6 and verse 60. Therefore, in John chapter 6, beginning in verse 60, therefore many of his disciples, when they heard this said, this is a hard saying, who can understand it? When Jesus knew in himself that his disciples complained about this, he said to them, does this offend you? What then if you should see the Son of Man ascend where he was before? It is the Spirit who gives life. The flesh profits nothing. The words that I speak to you are spirit, um, and they are life. Um, But there are some of you who do not believe. For Jesus knew from the beginning who they were who did not believe and who would betray him. And he said, therefore, I have said to you that no one can come to me unless it has been granted to him by the Father. From that time, many of his disciples went back and walked with him no more. And then Jesus said to the 12, do you want to go away? But Simon Peter answered him, Lord, to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life. See the confidence that Peter had in the words of Jesus? You have the words of eternal life. Where else can I go? I think it's best illustrated, and this is when I'm talking about that Peter kind of goes back and, and, and forth, and we have the account of the Mount transfiguration in Matthew chapter 16. Uh, when Jesus goes into the region of Caesarea Philippi, in ver- beginning in verse 13, he said, he asked his disciples, saying, who do men say that I am of God? Okay, this is the um, confession. Who do men say that I am? The son of God, uh, son of man am. So they said, some say John the Baptist, some Elijah, and others Jeremiah, or one of the prophets. He said to them, but who do you say that I am? Simon Peter answered and said, you are the Christ, the son of the living God. And Jesus answered and said to them, blessed are you, Simon bar for flesh and blood has not revealed this, but life, but my father who is in heaven. Again, Peter understands who Jesus Christ is. He is the son of the living God. What do I find interesting there? Who do men say? Well, some men say, you're John the Baptist, great man. Some say, you're Elijah, another great man. But Peter understood, thou art the Christ, the son of the living God. You are the Messiah. You are the Savior. You're the only one. You're the source that can save man from his sins. And that's what um, he was trying to get across. This is the next passage I was talking about in Luke chapter 9. If you'd like to turn there, beginning in verse 28, this is the account on the Mount of Transfiguration in Luke chapter 9, beginning in verse 28 and following. now it came to pass about eight days after these sayings that he took Peter, John, and and James. And again, I think this is interesting because I know Anthony mentioned about the inner circle of Jesus Christ. And it was Peter, James, and John. Many times he would go someplace. And uh, he would take three of his closest disciples with him. And uh, Anthony mentioned that, you know, uh, intimacy uh, statistics say that, you know, people's inner circle includes three people. And so I know Candy's part of my inner circle. Uh, so all I need to do is have two more friends, and I will feel somewhat normal. But here we have the inner circle of Jesus Christ going with him up into the mountain. And it says here in Luke chapter nine, it says now it came to pass about eight days after these sayings that he took Peter, John, James, and went up to the up on the mountain to pray, and that's the other thing that we see in the relationship between Jesus and his apostles, training them how to pray, and that he would pray all night on many occasions, and he puts a lot of emphasis on the prayer line. As he prayed, the appearance of his face was altered, and his robe became white and glistening, and behold, two men talked with him, who were Moses and Elijah, who appeared in glory and spoke of his decease, which he was about to accomplish at Jerusalem, But Peter and those with him were heavy with sleep and uh, and when they were fully awake they saw his glory and the two men who stood with him then it happened as they were parting from him that Peter said to Jesus Master it is good for us to be here and let us make three tabernacles one for you, one for Moses and one for Elijah not knowing what he said. Do you understand what he said? Can we worship Elijah? Can we worship Moses? How was he looked at how were these two men looked at amongst the Jewish people where they were patriarchs they they were great leaders of faith they were great examples but they were mere men they they had sin in their lives they weren't perfect only Jesus Christ was perfect only Jesus Christ is the source of eternal salvation only Jesus Christ is the son of God verse 34 while he was saying this the cloud came and overshadowed them and they were fearful as they entered the cloud, and a voice came out of the cloud saying, This is my beloved Son, hear ye him. Why is Jesus Christ the source? We need to fully understand that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God. And we don't have time to go into great detail, but if you look at John chapter 1 and verse 1, it talks about Jesus Christ. Um, who was the Word. The Word was with God, and the Word was God, and he dwelt among man, talking about Jesus, the Son of God. He is who he said he is, that he is the Son of God. R is repentance. This is something that uh, many people struggle with. If you're going to be close to God, you need to have your life changed. You need to become more and more like Christ. Repentance in Luke chapter 5 in verse 8, and I know Matt had this in his lesson a few weeks ago. I'd like for sister to briefly look at that again uh, tonight. Luke chapter 5 and verse 8. When Simon Peter saw it, well, first of all, we had the, um, uh, I'll just go ahead and um, give an overview of the the passage uh, because I know our time is running out. We had the four fishermen in a boat. Um, They were fishing all night, and you can imagine the pride of the fishermen. They caught nothing after fishing all night. And so Jesus comes out there and say says you know cast your net on the other side. Well, they became frustrated. You know, okay, Jesus, you have your expertise, and we're fishermen. We've been doing this all of our life. We have. I can just imagine the thought process. But at your will, we will cast our nets on the other side. And so they did. And the result was that they catched a, a miraculous catch of fish. And so we see that. Um, that, he, that they came and filled the uh, both the boats, so they began to sink. And when Simon Peter saw it, he fell down at Jesus' knees, saying, Depart from me, for I am a sinful man. Sometimes, uh, for I am a sinful man, O Lord. Sometimes we fail to realize the greatness of Jesus Christ and what he is able to do for us. We can look at all the examples of repentance in Peter's life, even when he was trying to prevent the Lord from dying the death that he came to do. What did Jesus tell Peter? He says, Peter, get thee behind me, Um, for I came to die. And Peter did not understand. He thought the Messiah came to set up an earthly kingdom. But he didn't. He came to set up a spiritual kingdom. He came to die that he might be resurrected, that he might draw all men to him through the forgiveness of their sins. Um, the last, we, we already looked at seek. We looked at trust. We looked at only uh, Christ is our Savior, only Savior. Uh, we looked at repentance. And, and finally, we're looking at yearning. That is our final point for the evening. Yearning to serve God. We have to have a yearning to serve the almighty creator. It has to be instilled within us that we want to serve him, that we want to experience God's grace, that we want to walk with him daily. Um, There's a story about a little boy who went to kindergarten one day and the mother had a hard time letting the child go to kindergarten, um, but she was anxious for him to grow and develop like all mothers do. And so when he came back home, She asked him, how was your day at kindergarten? And and the little boy, I think his name was Chase in the story, said it was great, but it's not something I would want to do every day. And uh, how many times Christians feel like that? You know, Christian life, oh, it's great, but it's not something I truly want to do every day. Um, So we have to have this yearning. We have to have a yearning to grow. You know, uh, and, and I don't have time to really develop this point like I would like to, but a yearning to grow, to not just simply partake of the milk but to begin with the milk, but then to grow thereby, and then to grow and and be able to partake of the meat. We can only do that by studying and and knowing the word of God. Uh, We have to have a yearning to love God with all of our heart, with all of our soul, with all of our mind. When Jesus was asked, what is the greatest commandment? That's what he said. Love the Lord thy God with all your heart, soul, and mind. The second is likened to it to love thy neighbor as thyself. And he gives examples, and we don't have time to... Uh, go into them as well so to love the lord thy god with all of the heart to serve you know jesus gave that great example of serving when he washed the apostles feet he was the master's master working uh washing his disciples feet he gave an example and no this is an example to wives or mothers this is an example for husbands and children <laughs> Um, As well, it's an example for all of us to wash each other's feet uh, in a figurative uh, manner that we are to serve one another. If I wash your feet, how much more are you to wash the feet of others? Peter said, no, you can't wash my feet. And Jesus says, if I do not wash your feet, you shall have no part uh, in my kingdom. And then Jesus says, well, wash my body also. Um, But the point being is that um, we need to understand the difference between temporal and eternal. Temporal, I understand it more and more as the older I get, eternal is forever. Um, I'd like to conclude the lesson tonight by looking at John chapter 12 and verse 32 and then asking a question. Um, But we're looking at the story of Christ and Peter's life. And I'd like for us to compare the story of Christ in your life and my life. In John chapter 12, In verse 32, Jesus says, And I, if I am lifted up from the earth, will draw all peoples to myself. You know, Paul does say that if I worship a a Savior that has not risen, it profits me nothing, and I'm the man most miserable, most pitiful. But I serve a risen Savior. I'm not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it is the power of God unto salvation to all who believe. Um, So that is the message. And here Jesus says in verse um, 32, and I, if I am lifted up from the earth, will draw all peoples to myself. You can have that daily walk with Christ. You can have that close relationship. You can look at the story of Christ and Peter's life and how Peter's life was changed forever. And especially after the cross, Peter's, life continued to grow and mature and we look at um, still he had mistakes we look at how he uh, was prejudiced against the gentiles he was rebuked by paul and because of his close relationship with god he allowed the rebuke to to fill his heart with repentance again and change the way that he was treating his gentile brethren we need to have those characteristics in our lives that peter had in his life we we need to be seekers Um, we need to trust God. We need to believe that Christ is the only source of salvation, our only Savior. We need to be able and willing to repent. Uh, We need to want to yearn to serve God, to be fully changed. Um, We want to be as much like Christ as we can. We don't want to continue in sin, but we want to uh, take advantage of the grace of God, but we want to allow the grace of God to cover my sins and allow me to become more and more like Christ. How's the story of Christ in your life? How has it impacted you? I had a couple breakfast appointments this last month. One with good brother Brian Snyder. I enjoyed that very much. Uh, one was with Keith Joy, and I appreciate that very much. And I can see Christ working in both of their lives. I enjoy the fellowship, getting together uh, with brothers and uh, sisters in Christ. I can definitely inspiring story and providence uh, of that uh, Keith shared with me, the providence of God and his life. And the question we now ask, how's your relationship with the father? How close are you? Do you seek that daily walk? Is there something that you want to do continually, constantly? Do you want to pray to him? Do you want to allow him to speak to you through studying the inspiring word? Do you want to be obedient to his gospel, to, to his call? You know, we, we see Peter preaching the gospel on the day of Pentecost. And, the, and after he got done preaching, the men and brethren said, What shall we do? And Peter says, Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, for the remissions of your sins, and you shall receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. If you're here tonight and you're subject to the Lord's invitation, in any way, we encourage you to take advantage of this opportunity and come as we stand together and as we sing.